I want fat, and I want to look like the world. I want to talk like the world. I want to act like the world. This is what I want to look like. Rather than understanding that we are a peculiar people, we are different. We are different. And that's hard for us as Christians to accept that we are a group of people who are to be different than the world rather than blending in the world. The Lord says we're in the world, but we're not of the world. But we want to be more of the world than understanding that we're in the world, but we're not part of this world, per se. For this is not our citizenship. This is not our home. This is not our final place. We're on our way home. We're just journeying through here. That's all. That's all. We're just journeying through here. And we need to recognize that. That we're not a people who are going to stay here forever. But that we're just passing through this place. And in understanding that, it would help us to really realize we have a divine purpose. For the little short period of time that we're here on earth, we have a divine purpose. But often somewhere in life, we lose that. We lose that. It is amazing to me how many young people today are ashamed of their families. Or ashamed of their father and mother. Or ashamed of their background. Or ashamed of their environment. Or ashamed of the way that they were raised. It's amazing. That they have this guilt of shame that somehow just rides them. And stays with them. And they can't get past it. And I think a lot of Christians are journeying through that. That they're ashamed of who they are. And the way that they respond to that is that they deny who they are. They deny who they are by the way they dress, by the way they talk, by the way they interact. There's that, this big denial that says, I'm not really a Christian, but my mouth is saying I'm a Christian. My mouth says I believe, but everything else about me is denying it. And there's that confusion emotionally. Oftentimes, whenever you find denial or a person denying something, you'll find shame go along with it. And whenever you find a person ashamed of something, you'll also find them denying it. They almost go together. I want you to understand something. It takes courage to live for Jesus. It really does take courage to live for Jesus. It takes courage to stand up and say, I'm a Christian today. It takes courage to lay down certain values and principles and say, this is how I live. It takes courage to do that. And it takes courage in our homes to even say in our homes... As one said, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That takes courage. It takes courage to say what you will allow in your home and what you will not allow in your home because everything will be bought into your home if you allow it. It takes courage. It takes courage to stand up for biblical beliefs and scripture. It takes courage. And wherever you're at, on Akron News Campus, at high school, in the workplace, it takes courage to live out the Christian life and allow people to really know you're a Christian. Not just that you're a human being, not just that you're a young lady, not just that you're a young man, not just that you're a senior, but it takes courage to be distinguished as a Christian.
in this day in which we're living. To deny. American Dictionary basically goes along pretty much so with the Greek, but it don't have is the tense and so forth. But basically the same thing as the Greek word for denial. is to declare a statement untrue or contradicted. Or you're opposing it. This is what's true in my heart. But outwardly, I'm opposing it. I'm fighting it. It can be true that you accepted the Lord when you were 8, 9, 10 years old, or when you were 15, or when you were 22 or 23. It can be true, but everything about you is opposing what you said that took place. So you're contradicting it, and you struggle with it, and you fight with it. It is to refuse to accept as true or right. There's a rejection. Look how many young people reject the word of God, but yet at the same time say that they're saved. Look how many of us just as individuals say, oh, I love the Lord, but yet we walk contrary to his scripture. If it is true, it's true and it's right. And here's where the Christians struggle. If it's true and if it's right, why do we reject it? Why do we reject it? Why are we fighting against it? And oftentimes, it's unfounded. What do I mean? We talk about sometimes how powerful our God is. How great our God is. And what our God can do. When's the last time you've seen God move a mountain? When last time you saw God really work a miracle and give somebody sight? When last time you seen somebody throw down their crutches and take off running and walking? But yet we talk about this powerful God, but where is he? Where is he at in my own personal life? Where is he at in my environment? Where is he at in changing my life? We hear about him, we talk about him, but in reality, he's not there. So is he a myth? Is he just a story? Or is he something that I should really believe and hold to as being true? For many a people, Christ is becoming like the Santa Claus. When I grow up, I discover he's not really what? Real. And many people are dealing with that. Is God really real? Even to this point, that, boy, do I hear him. If he's a real person, if he really speaks, when do I hear him? When does he speak to me? When does he direct my path? When does he show me things about my life? When does he allow things to happen in my life? And most of us, we get so busy with life, we miss him anyhow. To refuse to acknowledge as one's own or disown that, yes, I did this, but I don't really own Christ. I don't own him. It's like a, a, a child who, 
who doesn't want to own their parents. The other day, touched by an angel, we had this midget. And his son was much taller than he was. And, and the son was in high school. And the midget had to go see about his son and his behavior in high school. And he asked the teacher, had you ever had one of your children pick you up to a drinking fountain for you can get a drink of water? Have you ever had to ask your child to turn on the light switch because you can't reach it? What you don't see is what he explained was the embarrassment that his child was going through because he's a midget and he's so small and he can't do certain things. That the son was disowning the father. The son was disowning the father. There's a young girl around here that we grew up with years ago. Every now and then I see her because she's a parking attendant or she takes the money. But she was to come off her chair outside the booth. And you can tell she's a, a dwarf by her hands and so forth. She only stands maybe, maybe two and a half feet to three feet. But you look at some of her children, they're over six feet. And then some of them are also small. And then the shame that comes from the child sometimes. Not accepting the disfigurement of a parent or a brother or a sister. We don't own. We don't own. One thing that one writer writes about Paul being in Rome is that why would Paul identify himself with Christ, one who was crucified as a criminal, one who couldn't even save his own life, but yet talking about saving the world, one who allowed men to spit in his face and beat him. How is he going to stop anything that's happening to anyone else? And he says, the worst thing I can say about Paul is this here. Why wouldn't Paul disown him because he couldn't even protect himself? How's he going to protect the Paul? And a lot of us go through that too. We read a lot about Jesus in Scripture, but what's happening in real life? And then we wind up disowning. To refuse the use or the access, that which has been given unto us, we refuse to even put it to the test to see if it will really work. Prayer will work. To refuse to grant or give, to refuse the request of a person. And the last one here, number seven, to forbid, deny oneself. is the issue of what scripture talks about, denying oneself. Pick up your own cross and follow me. Is the denial of oneself. Ashamed. Is feeling ashamed because of something bad or wrong or foolish was done. My uncle owned a bar out in Barberton. And quite a few of my relatives who lived in Barberton, cousins and so forth, they went to that bar. But my uncle Bernie, every weekend from B&W, he was going to spend most of his check right there in that bar. And he couldn't get from that bar to Snyder Street without constantly falling. And sometimes... 
would be ashamed to say, that's my uncle. That's my uncle. And sometimes when we have somebody who's a drug addict in our family, somebody that has an alcohol problem in our family, somebody who's not living up to what we think a certain standard should be, we disown them and we won't even say, that's my dad, that's my brother, that's my this, or this, that's my that. I had this strange idea a week ago, and I'll share it with you. And I called all my brothers. But we hadn't all been together since my father passed last March. So I called them all. I said, let's all go to breakfast. And see, there's one side of my family that loved to fight and shoot. And there's another side of my family that's very peaceful. See? So when my daughter Faith said, oh, she's going to have the family over, I asked her, you inviting the brown? No, no, I wasn't inviting that group. I was inviting this other group. <laughs> you know. We're out here at the restaurant, and two of my brothers get into it. The one stands up, starts talking about, yeah, I'll bring it. And the other said, you bring it on, I got something that'll push you back. And we got these two tables, everybody watching now. And I'm saying, Lord, don't let them hit each other. Don't let nothing happen. Because I have to grab one, then the other one grab one. Before y'all know, Pastor Brown been in a brawl. <laughs> so my brother going out the door, he asked, when are we going to have our next breakfast? He said, I don't know. <laughs> but we become ashamed. Of something that's wrong or foolish behavior. It humiliates us. It embarrasses us. And a lot of us as Christians, sometimes we're embarrassed to allow our Christianity to do what? Be seen or to stand out. We're embarrassed by it. We're embarrassed that people would say, Are you a Christian? No, we, we want to blend in. And we want to look like the others. Oftentimes as Christians, we look inadequate. We're not up to speed. The Hilton family, who we grew up with, lived on Peerless, and we lived on Packer Drive. And the Peerless family were sanctified, Holy Ghost filled and everything. And um, they belonged to a very sanctified church, Holy Church in their daughters could not wear dresses at the knees. They had to wear dresses down to the calves and so forth. Were not allowed to wear any makeup. And the boys couldn't play basketball or soccer at junior high school or high school because there was at church at least three, four times a week and none was going to stop that or separate that. And we used to laugh at them. We used to call them holy rollers because they couldn't even listen to the radio. With different, with certain type of music. Every now and then, one of them would break loose and sneak out and do something that they knew that their parents would not allow or permit. And we would see somebody totally different. Part of their feelings were. They were inadequate by the way they dressed, by the way they talked, by the way that they looked. They felt inadequate. And they would try to fit in. 
In our days as a teenager, and you couldn't dance, something was wrong. Because we just assumed all teenagers knew how to dance. They were not allowed to dance. So when they would try, it would look awkward, funny, totally different, be laughed at, inadequate, inferior. And that's where a lot of us, as Christians, we feel inadequate. Because we don't blend in with the rest of the world. We're not like the rest of the world. Reluctant because fearing shame beforehand. So we even draw back. We even draw back because of it. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. That principle is true. Either you are helping gathering people into the kingdom of God, or you are keeping people what? Out of the kingdom of God. You're doing one or the other. You're doing one or the other. There is no middle ground there. Either you are affecting the lives of people by the way you live, and causing people to question themselves and really take a good look at themselves and their life spiritually, or you're totally causing people to be turned off from Christianity. A lot of us as Christians, I hate to say it, and I have to even ask myself of this, do we live more like hypocrites or do we live more like Christians? Do we live more like hypocrites? We're saying we're one thing, and people are watching us, but they're seeing a double standard. They're seeing a double standard. For either you are gathering or you're scattering. You're doing one or the other. Whoever acknowledged me before men, I will also acknowledge before acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. It sounds like that there's being a response here. If you really love me and you really show love towards me and you're really participating with me in my work and you're telling those that are down here on earth about me, I'm letting your name be known in heaven. I'm bragging about you in heaven. Now, some commentators will say, you cannot put this verse in Matthew here 10, 32, and 33. You can't put that verse over into the Christian life because this is, you go back to the very beginning of chapter 10 of Matthew, he's sending the disciples out. And he said, this is about the disciples in Israel. The problem with that is you find basically the same thing over in 2 Timothy 2.8. And the question for the Christian is this here. Do I really own Jesus? Or do I disown him? Do I really own his teaching? Or do I disown it? Where do I really stand? Because contrary to popular opinion, with Christ there's no middle ground. Either you're going to be hot or cold, and if you're in the middle, I'll spew you out. I'll spew you out. Now, that whole process of owning, 
To acknowledge Him is to own Him. To really know Him. But He says, if you don't acknowledge me before men, if you're not proud of me, if you're not willing to talk about me, if you're not willing to show me up, why should I want to do that with you? Go to 2 Timothy 2.12. 2 Timothy 2.12. He says, If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. This back and forth thing, either own, disown, acknowledge, don't acknowledge. Kind of stay with me. In Luke 12, 8, he says, boy, if you speak about me, in a sense... I'm going to speak about you. If you're sharing about me, I'm going to share about you. He says in Luke 12, he says, I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. Who's going to know about you? All heaven's going to know about you. Because as you are acknowledging me here on earth, I'm also acknowledging you there in heaven. There's that thing that he's recognizing. Yeah, you are mine. You're mine. You're mine. How many of you remember Shaq when he first started in basketball? Remember Shaq's dad came out the closet. And all of a sudden, Shaq was telling everybody, that's my son. That's my son. That's my son. And when he came to see his son at one game, he tried to go and meet with his son. And his son simply said, you've never been a part of my life all these years. We're not going to start now. And Shaq would not allow his father into his life. His biological father. How many of you read James' little capture about his father? I'm kind of glad I didn't get to know you because look where I'm at today. I may not have made it if I'd known you. Disowning the biological father. Unless there's that interaction, there is that disowning. And we see that in Scripture, that if you acknowledge me, I acknowledge you. You own me, I own you. If you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. And you see that interaction, in a sense, even in Scripture now. 
Go to John 9.22. How might some of this play out? Here's this family. A lot of you recognize this, the blind man. But what I want you to catch is this, because this is one of the things that sometimes causes us to deny. This is one of the things that sometimes will back us off. It's what other people will think about us. Or how other people will see us. So in 9.22 he says, His parents said... His parents says this, because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. So the parents are quiet on this issue about who healed, who did what, who did this or who did that. All they know is that their son was born blind. And that it is his, their son. But they don't know nothing else. But the scripture here says, boy, they were afraid. His parents said this because they were afraid. Because we're afraid, that fear stops us from doing a lot of things. Because they were afraid, they were scared to speak the truth. They knew that Jesus had healed their son. But their thing is, let him speak for himself. Why? Because they were fearful of being put out of the synagogue. They were fearful of being disowned. They were fearful. Go to John 12, 42 and 43. Look what it says about these men. 42-43. Yet at the same time, me, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. Catch that. They're believing. They believe. Yet at this time, many, even among leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, because of your peers... Because of what other people may say about you. Because of what other people think about you. Or what other people may put you down. Or not allow you to do this or do that. Or be a part of this or be a part of that. Or people may not think of you in such a highlight. He says, Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith. For what? For fear. For fear. So I'm on the job and everybody's cussing. Everybody's telling all these jokes. And I'm going to blend in because I don't want somebody to know I'm a what? I'm a Christian. I'm at school and I want to be popular and I want to be at the in-group and I want to be able to be part of the in-group and I want to be famous and I want to have all the... And every now and then I got to use a little swear word or I got to say something out of the way or I got to put somebody down or I got to act like the crowd in order to be in the crowd. Or I'm not accepted. And he says... They would not confess their faith. And how many of you are not confessing your faith? Or really allowing people to know where you stand or what you believe 
because you fear what they might do to you or how they might respond to you. They would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. That they would be put out. Go to Daniel. Here's these three Hebrew guys. They're supposed to bow down at the time of the trumpet. And they're supposed to worship at this time. I want you to catch what they say. But I want you to do more than that. I want you to catch their confidence in their God. Because oftentimes when I'm ashamed and I deny, it's because I, have, I, I, I lack confidence in that individual. I lack confidence in what I believe. I lack confidence in my dad. I lack confidence in my parents. I lack confidence in the group I'm in. I'm lacking. I'm missing something. And I give in to it. But I want you to catch these three young men. And they're speaking to the king. They're speaking to somebody in authority. They're speaking to someone who could take away their riches. They're speaking to someone who could take away their life. They're speaking to someone who could demote them. They're speaking to someone who could bring harm to their life. Let's start in verse 15. Let me get there. But let Daniel 4, I was wondering, looking around, Daniel 3, 15. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zephyr, the lyric, the harp, the pipes, and all kind of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. But what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now I want you to listen to what the king is saying in Nebuchadnezzar. What God will be able to rescue you from my hands? Catch that. Because that's what we get fearful at. Of the hands of somebody else. What somebody else will do to us. How somebody else might harm us. Who can rescue me out of that person's hands? Who can rescue me out of that person's authority? Who can rescue me? Who can keep me? Who can do what? See, this person's powerful. This person has certain control over my life. And who is it that can rescue me out of his hands? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. What are they saying in that statement? By the way that we have lived and what you already know about us, you know we're not going to do what? Bow down. (laughs) How many people where you live know you and you won't bow down to certain things? Period. They already know that about you. See, the fearful thing sometimes that we fight with people is what they don't know about us. Because what we've done, we've put up a certain image, a certain mashiach up here, 
And people think this about us, and that's not the reality. When you allow yourself to really be known, people can't really hurt you. But when you got to fake something up here, people can hurt you. Because that image can do what? Very quickly. It can change. But if you're real and you're who you are, people can't really hurt you because nothing's going to change you. You are who you are. You stand for what you stand for. And he says, King, we don't have to defend ourselves in this manner because you already know our position. You know we're not going to bow down. You know we're not going to worship this image. You already know that. Let's go a little further. If we are known, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. Confidence. How many of you got that kind of confidence in your God? That God is able to save you. He's able to keep you. See, a lot of times we can't make changes in our life because of what? We think the moment that change takes place, boy, but we forgot who put us where we are. Hey. And they're saying, if you put us there, our God is able to what? Keep us. He's more than able. If you are, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us. What confidence? Do you have that kind of confidence? Do you have that kind of relationship with God that you know that God will fight on your behalf? He goes a little further, he says. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. See, if that there would have been me, I think I would have said just one thing at a time. See, see. I don't think I would have put in there if he did not. You know. Hopefully, the first time you would have said, okay, I'm not going to put you in there. I don't want to put you to the test. But if you do, and even if he don't, if he don't show up, I'm not going to bow down. You know what they're saying? If he don't show up, he got a better plan for me. If he don't show up, he got something better for me. But I know my God is going to act one way or another. Either he's going to protect me in it, or he got something better for me. And he says, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them, and that's what we fear, isn't it? The attitude of other people towards us. When we don't comply to what they want us to do. We're fearful of their attitude. We're fearful of how they're going to respond. We're fearful of what they're going to do. 
His attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and threw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the furnace? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four. How many of you believe that God will be with you in the most heated situation? God will be with you in the most difficult situation. God will be there with you. Go to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. It's like God doesn't know our problems. It's like God's not aware of what I'm wrestling with. It's like God not understanding what's happening in my life. And oftentimes our action denies him because we think he's not aware. He's up in heaven somewhere, running heaven, but hey, what's happening down here don't really matter to him. Let me share something with you. It matters. That's why God knows every tear that drops. God knows every situation in Gus Brown's life. He knows it. Come to verse 27 with me. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. There is the person now who will deny and disown because God's not doing what? I've gone through divorce and I'm mad at God because God didn't act. I don't have no money. I don't have no job. I'm mad at God because I don't have employment. I, I don't have the wealth. I don't have this and I don't have that. What we sometimes don't look at is this. is what we do have. And understand it's only by the grace of God that I have that. We get angry at God because we think God's not aware of our situations. And, and at that point, we're ready to deny and disown. And he says simply, my way is hidden from the Lord. No, it isn't. God sees it all. He knows what's going on. Come on down a little further. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding, no one can fathom. God's working. You may not understand it, but God's at work. You may not have the plan right now. And you may not know exactly which step to take. But God's at work. I don't even begin to understand how God will do this and God will do that. My thing is to trust him that he loves me enough that he's going to take care of me in every situation. Twenty nine, he gives strength to the weary and increase the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary. 
and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. But look at the thing of renewing the strength. Is your hope in who? In the Lord. If you're not acknowledging me, I'm not acknowledging you. You're ashamed of me, I'm ashamed of you. The hope that is there. That whole issue of being ashamed, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because Paul realized something. It is the power of God. I'm not ashamed of it. When I deny something, I'm ashamed of it. And when I'm ashamed of something, I deny it. If I've done something wrong in my life and I'm trying to hide it, somebody may come up and say, you did this when you... No, I didn't. (laughs) We begin very quickly to hide what we're ashamed of in our past. And we begin to deny it. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because this is what Paul realized. It's the power of God. It's the real power of God. The teaching of of the word of God is the power of God. The word of God is God's power. And oftentimes we miss that. And Satan has removed us from our power link by removing us from the word of God. So you got people saying, I'm saved, but they don't know the first thing about the Word of God. You take away the Word of God, you have no strength. Take away the Word of God, you have no power. Take away the Word of God, you don't know God's will. Take away the Word of God, you're empty. The Christian gains his power through the knowledge of the Word. And through the relationship now that he has with God, because more of that word that is in you, the more powerful you become because of the relationship you are in with Christ Jesus. Void of the word, you'll find yourself empty in power. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He's talking about the total teachings of Christ. I'm not ashamed of this word of God. Because I understand it. It's the real power to live. It's the power to live a life that is saved. It's the power to live like Christ. Unto the Jew and then to the Gentile. It's the real power. It's the power that God gives that is manifested in the gospel. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. Why? I'm not ashamed. Go to the... Well, just to save time, it's in 40, in verse 9. But that verse says something very powerful. And I I think right now it's speaking to our culture, to our society, more than anything else. Because one of the things that we keep hearing over Christian radio, over and over again, Hal Lindsey says it over and over, almost with every broadcast he has. The lamb of the lion, or the lion of the lamb, the gentleman speaks it. That this world is trying to silence the voice of God. It's silencing the Christian. Look at what the verse says. I proclaim what? Righteousness 
Whereat in the assembly I do not seal my what? Yes. It's not that they're sealing my lips. Who makes the choice? I do. And I seal my lips out of fear. I seal my lips and I won't speak because I'm worried about what they will do to me. And the Lord says, don't fear them that can only kill the body and can't do anything else. But that's who we fear, isn't it? We're so fearful of that, that we won't even speak up and say, I am a Christian. I won't speak up and say, hey, I love that gay person, but I'm against their behavior. I don't hate them. I hate their behavior. I love the bank robber. I hate his behavior. Even the rapist. I love the person. I hate his actions. I hate his behavior. The adulterer. Love the person. I hate his sin. I hate his behavior. Person in fornication. Love the person. Hate their behavior, their action. Why? It's against God and is damaging the individual. And he says, I do not seal my lips. I do not seal my lips. What causes your lips to be sealed when God is trying to open your mouth? Have you ever been in that tug of war? God is saying, speak, witness, share with them. You ever been in that situation? And sometimes it's even in a group. Lord, if I say that, I'm going to be looked upon as somebody weird and somebody that's not with it. I'm outdated. I'm going to be laughed at. I'm going to be talked about. And so I choose to seal my lips and not say a thing. And Paul says, I'm not going to be ashamed because I know the real power. Started off with, to really live a Christian life, it takes courage. Go to Philippians 1, and verse 20. Because we need to understand, it does take courage. Paul is in under house arrest here. He's in chains. Or he, he doesn't have the freedom to move around. But Paul says in verse 20, and I, and I want you to catch his hope. I want you to catch what he's praying for. I want you to see Paul's little doubt maybe about himself. Because see, in the reality of this stuff, we all have a little doubt about ourselves. Now, let me share something with you. If you don't doubt yourself at times, you're overly confident. And you're heading for a fall. When you got a plan that's so tight, you're heading for a fall. You're overly confident in your plan. Verse 20. Catch what Paul's going to say. I eagerly expect 
and hope. And that's a sure hope. But it's still hope. A positive hope. But it's still hope. I'm hoping God. My, my trust is in my God. And I eagerly expect it and hope that I will in no way be what? Ashamed. Is that Paul saying that? You think Paul would just stand up and say, I'm not ashamed. Period. But Paul is saying here, in prison, with chains on, not having the freedom that he's been accustomed to, that I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. How many of you pray for courage? Lord, give me the strength to do the right thing. Lord, give me the strength to make the right decision. Lord, give me the strength to step out and trust you and believe you. See, we need to be praying for courage. We need to be praying for faith. We need to be praying, Lord, help me to trust you. The centurion, Lord, help my unbelief. See, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not there yet. I still struggle. I still have faults. Boy, when they said, go get that MIR, boy, I prayed up all night. I had memory verses. I was sitting in the thing out there and took off my clothes and put on this little robe. And I'm saying, Lord, we're going through this. And I didn't pray through it and everything. I got in there in a minute and I felt my breath coming back at me and I couldn't breathe. And I started yelling to them, get me out of here, get me out of here. Well, I didn't pray it all night. I'm quoting all kinds of verses. I'm in there with my robe on, reading my little Bible. And I'm saying, we're going to do this. And next thing I know, I'm yelling, get me out of this thing. Still got some work to be done here. My wife, boy, I'm learning more and more because I'm understanding something. I'm in a little elevator going up and that thing was close and I'm getting to where I'm losing air now and I'm not breathing and, 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 and boy I'm saying get me out of this thing yeah, Elaine can't go off the first floor we're, we're at a hotel and we're up on about the 13th floor but it's all open and we stepped out the room she gets up against the wall <laughs> and it really dawned on me she can't go high and yet she has great faith. She believes God. But heights, she can't, it, does, it makes her feel like she's falling. So we're, she's against the wall, waiting all the way around to the elevator. I guess people saying, what's wrong to you? <laughs> and we go to the manager and he brings us down. But we had to come down. To the first or second floor. We have fears. It still shows our human part of us. It shows we haven't arrived yet. It still allows us to know we're still here. And Paul says, I hope I don't bring any shame. And that I have sufficient courage to go through whatever I'm going through. That I have sufficient courage. And I won't bring any shame to this gospel. Or to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then it's the evidence that we give. 
And you need to understand that. The way in which you live as a Christian is your witness, is your evidence that's saying, yes, God is alive. As Dick was singing that song, yes, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. How many of us really live as though he's alive? He's really alive. And that he's there for me. And he's going to minister to me. Go ahead over to 2 Timothy 1.8. It gives witness. And we need to understand, that's what we are. We are the witnesses of God. He says, so do not be ashamed. You think God knew something about us as people? Do not be ashamed to testify. Do not be ashamed to speak of me. Do not be ashamed. And that word there in the Greek is to give evidence of. To give evidence of. Don't be ashamed to give evidence of you being born again. Don't be ashamed to allow the evidence to be manifested in your life that you're a child of God. Don't be ashamed to allow your life to be a witness for me. And he says it. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Join with me. And then, when you deny and you're ashamed, how many of you are old enough here? I, there, there, there's something here really know age-wise. When we first got married, my wife went down to buy something and do something. And she took our credit and so forth. Well, she couldn't do anything. Because she had went from a Morgan to a Brown. Back in them days, everything had to come under whose name? The husband's name. And she found out that everything she was going to do, I had to come down there and do, and since giving permission for her to do it. And I don't have to do that today. But at that time, that's what had to be done. But in the meantime, we also learned this. She became very proud of being called Mrs. Gus Brown. And she was saying that way. She was proud of having my name. What Peter is asking is this. In what you're going through in life, are you proud to bear the name of Christ or bear the name of Christian? Are you proud to bear your family name? Or are you ashamed to bear your family name? See, some of my nephews, they'll say, see, I'm not a brown, I'm this. <laughs> the thing is, we cause sometimes a lot of shame. And Peter 4.16, just go to it. And look what Peter says here. And, and it's this issue. Are you proud of the name that you bear? Or are you ashamed of it? Are you proud to be called a Christian? Or are you ashamed of it? 
He says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear what? The name. The name. The name. The name. Are you ashamed to bear the name of Christian? Are you ashamed to bear the name Jesus? Are you ashamed of it? Or do you stand up for it? I'm a Christian. I love Christ. I do not say that to purposely offend you. But this is who and what I am. I'm not ashamed of that. When I was in India years ago, I would share with them, I'm not Hindu, I'm a Christian. I'm not Hindu, I'm a Christian. Even though I wanted to see the Hindu worship places, I wanted to see them. I wanted to talk with some of their priests or whatever. I wanted to learn, but I am a Christian. I'm a father of Christ. And he says, are you proud to bear the name? Or are you ashamed of the name? Are you ashamed of who you are in Christ? Or are you proud of who you are? How many of you read the article about the Falls Council or say they want to take the name of Jesus out of the prayer? I was challenged with that at Akron General. Sister Hines, Pat Hines, Dr. Hines, Professor Akron, she asked me in closing prayer, she said, Gus, would you mind not using the name Jesus? Because that's offensive to us who are Jewish here. There are a lot of Jewish doctors, Jewish nurses. And I said, Pat, you're Jewish, and I respect that highly. But I would never ask you to denounce what you believe. I was asked to pray, and they knew, and they understood that I'm a Christian. And that's how I'm going to pray. And we're celebrating a Christmas banquet here at Afton General with the staff. It's Christmas. <laughs> and you're asking me not to use the Lord's name in closing prayer? I can't do that. I can't do that. When I was asked to pray at a nursing at graduation at a nursing at Aquin the president of the college asked me not to close the prayer in Jesus' name because all the different people that was out there. And I agreed because they would do that with anybody. But I ended my prayer in that name that is above every name. That name whose every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. I used every little bit of scripture I can use other than just saying Jesus. We're not ashamed of him. Let's close out with Psalm 71, 15, 14, and we're done. Psalm 71. 
Your identity is in Jesus Christ. And if you are ashamed of the one in whom you are to identify with, you're going to have emotional problems, spiritual problems, because you will not stand up and be who you say that you are. Start with me in verse 15. He says, My mouth will tell of your righteousness. My mouth will tell of your righteousness. When's the last time you really shared with somebody about the goodness of God? You know, what God's done for you. You have to tell somebody, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, you need to be saved. You can just start with how good God's been to who? You. Person may look strange at you. Why hasn't he been that good to me? Well, maybe there's a reason he hasn't been that good to you. I'm a child of his, are you? But he says, My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long. Though I know not its measure, I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign God. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me. And to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God. Now listen to the desire and the cry, even in the older age. All you folks who got this gray hair and past 60, listen to it. Because sometimes we think our work is done, but listen to him. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I have declared your power to who? The next generation, your might to all who are to come. I share his goodness from my youth all the way to the grave. I'm sharing the goodness of my God. Let's pray.